0: Love Talk radio.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Healthcare Whisperer radio show. Uh, welcome back, everyone. My name is Hari Khalsa, and I'm your host. As you know, I am a nurse practitioner, a patient advocate, and president of Healthcare Whisperer. Healthcare Whisperer is a uh, patient advocacy company and healthcare navigation company. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at harik108, on Facebook at Hari Khalsa, or you can go to my website and find all out all about me at www.healthcarewhisperer.com. Uh, and don't forget LinkedIn; I'm also there. Um, you know, this show is about providing information, tips on how to successfully navigate the healthcare system. I have found that the best way is to have people tell their stories, their failures, and their successes, so everyone can learn. Uh, as we all know, it can be so difficult when one's trying to get through the system, especially when there's a crisis going on. Uh, I wanted to let everyone know that I am doing a uh, <clears throat> a day-long conference in Austin, Texas, on October 9th from 830 to 3 and it's called uh, A Patient Advocate, Being a Voice for Patients to to Provide Healthcare Solutions. Uh, this conference is about why advocates are so needed in this changing healthcare system and landscape. And I also want to let you know this is uh, all the fees from the conferences are being donated to You Are Our Hope, a not for profit that helps uh, people of all ages. Uh, find answers to rare and undiagnosed illnesses. They're a very dedicated group, and I look forward to doing this conference and um, working with them. You can go to my site, com for more information, or U-R-R. It's letter U, letter R, then R-O-U-R, hope.org. And uh, that's one exciting thing. The other exciting thing is that we are looking to get into the SX Southwest conference on the uh, panel to be one of the panels and the interest this is a huge conference in Austin every year it goes for like 3 weeks they have the educational side they have the music side it's like already hard to get a a hotel room in downtown Austin it's a big deal and we're trying to get on a panel uh, and one of the ways that they assess, I mean, we've been accepted to be possibly be okay to be a panel, but now it's open to voting. So voting is very important. So I'm going to ask you all to go to the urrhope.org uh, website, and you'll find a link there to vote. You can also go to the SXSW panel picker dot uh, com or panel picker X, S-X-S-W. Uh and uh, vote for us because the more votes we get, the more possibility we get to talk about patient advocacy and what it means for people. So anyway, let's get on to today's show. Yeah, I'm so excited today because I have Jen Hazersaki here, and she's going to talk about the journey to hospice. Um, this is her story. is It is so touching, uh, and it's all about her beloved grandmother Jenny, um, who went into a who fell, went into a rehab, and essentially never left. Um, the story is about fighting the system of, for what was needed for her, and making and people services keep their promises. Uh, you got your tissue boxes ready, everybody. Uh, a little bit about Jen. She is a social media master. And, of course, she's going to debate this. But anyway, she's an expert. Uh, She is the co-owner of Social Karma Media, a wonderful uh, uh, social media and web and tech site uh, group. Um, Her and her husband own it, and they're incredible people. Uh, And, again, I'm going to tell you, she's an expert in all things social media, From Twitter to LinkedIn to Flickr to anything that's coming down the pike, she knows about it. And a little secret, she started working in this area before any of us even knew how to say Twitter or what it meant. So without further ado, and I'm going to bring her on. So let's bring Jen here. Let's see if we got her, if everything's going to work. Jen, hi. Hi, Hari. Hi. How are you today?
2: Good. Thank you for that amazing introduction.
1: yeah, well, you deserve every word of it, so, um, and thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show, because I know what you have to say, the story, your story is so, so very valuable, so thank you very much for taking the time away from your two wonderful little kids.
2: Thank you, I appreciate it. It's it's an important story.
1: I think so. Um, so why don't we begin, because your story actually starts before your you know you, what um happened with your grandmother it, well tell us a little about you and how you became aware that there might actually be problems with the healthcare system
2: well actually i was i was always a healthy person i rarely had to go to the doctor and mm-hmm. after i had my first daughter you know things started to change with with my health after i had my second daughter is when the problems really started happening um after i had my second daughter She was born about six weeks early, and she was taken via C-section. And during the hospital stay, probably about 24 hours after the C-section, I started noticing um, pains in my leg, in my lower calf. And they progressively got worse to the point where I was actually limping on it. I really, really could not put pressure on it. And I was walking back and forth to NICU and then back to my room, and... um, you know, it just wasn't getting better. And I, with C-sections, I'm up and at them right away. It really, that pain never bothered me. Mm-hmm. And so I started telling my mom, you know, my leg hurts. And I started telling my husband, it really hurts. Mm-hmm. And so they went up to the nurses and, and explained to them, you know, she wants pain medication for her leg and she can barely, she's limping on it. So the nurse mm-hmm. came in and um, checked my leg and said, you know, it's not warm it's not red, it's not, um, you're not um, swollen. And I said, well, I, I don't understand how you can say that. I just had a C-section and I'm swollen everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: um, she continued to say, you're just fine. It's probably because you're up and down so much.
1: Right, so because point, you're walking I, on it, your leg hurts. Yeah, that happens to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's that point, okay
2: because I've never had it before, I thought that's what it was.
1: Right, right. Why would you think different? You know, they're the experts.
2: Absolutely. I trusted them.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: trusted them. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this went on for a couple of days, multiple nurses, same or same thing. Even um, the uh, one of the other um, doctor that my OBGYN, that was coming to check on me said the same thing. And so, um, you know, I... Asked my dad. My dad's a retired doctor, and um, he was in California. And I called him and explained everything to him.
0: Mm-hmm. And he
2: called their station, and um, you know was was very aggravated that they didn't mm-hmm. just do a five minute Doppler check to see if I could possibly have a blood clot. Uh-huh. And they said to him, you know, you're being a dad, not a doctor, and no, we're not going to because she's not showing any telltale signs. Uh-huh.
1: So go away. Don't bother us.
2: Yeah, basically, what? don't. Don't call us anymore. And so they Uh sent me home with my daughter um, six days later. Uh And another four days went by and the pain just disappeared. I didn't have any pain in my leg anymore. Uh And so I, again, you know, the doctors are right. Everyone else was wrong. And Uh four days later, so we're a total of 10 days now, I started, I woke up feeling like I had the flu. Uh And so my husband said go lay back down. And so I did. And I woke up and... I still felt, I felt like I was suffocating. I mean, I couldn't really explain it any better than that. Mm -hmm. And the pain was there, but it was more or less like it was suffocating.
0: Mm -hmm. And so
2: I was rushed to the hospital. Um, I actually, I drove myself. (laughs) Um,
0: You rushed yourself to the
1: hospital. Uh
2: I drove myself to the hospital um, and went to the same hospital I had the baby at and explained to the emergency room, you know, I had a C-section 10 days ago. I had leg pain. The leg pain disappeared. Now I feel like I'm suffocating. Um, what's wrong with me? And so they mm-hmm. sat me in a room, did an EKG, did, you know, did blood pressure, normal stuff, and said, you're fine, go sit in the waiting room. And this uh. went on for four hours.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and so after that, they finally called me back for a CT scan with contrast and mm-hmm. then threw me back in the waiting room for an additional four hours. So at this time, it's it's been eight hours, a little over, and an emergency mm-hmm. room doctor comes out and starts asking if there's a Mrs. Hashisaki anywhere in the mm-hmm.
0: room. And uh-huh. I stood up,
2: and he uh, threw me on a bed and said, we need to get you up to ICU right away. Um, you have three blood clots that have broken off. You can see that they broke off in your leg, and they're now in your lungs. And um, Oh, my God. Um, just to you know, let people know. At this point, know. we're going to get I'm you in heparin, and that's it.
1: Just to let people know medically. It's you know you're you're probably thinking out there well it went away. Well that's what happens with blood clots in the legs because they start to move. So the pain, you know, they they're, they're painful, 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 painful. And then the pain goes away because they okay, we're done here, we're moving. We're on our way up to the lungs, which is what was happening with you. So, you know, you you tried to let people know and it, and and they didn't they they <laughs> They didn't hear it, which is actually really surprising to me. But anyway, so you got to the ICU. They gave you heparin, and, you know, did you try to talk to them about it? Like, you know, why didn't anybody listen to me?
2: Well, the first doctor actually came in right after I had been taken up um, to ICU. So the emergency room doctor left, and a, Mm a doctor came in that was a hematologist, And um, he said, do you know why you're up here? And I said, well, absolutely. I was just told I had blood clots. And he said, now, how do you know that? And I said, because I was just told that. And he said, are you sure? He said, we haven't even seen the CT scan. And I said, well, then if it's not true, why are you pumping my body full of this stuff?
0: Uh And
2: I think I triggered a a nerve on him because he didn't come back. Um, Uh I then had a second hematologist come in and actually sat down with me for over an hour, drew it out, explained to me where they came from, where they were now, what was going to happen next, and um stayed with me until I calmed down. I mean he knew I was a nervous wreck. I wanted to be with my baby. Um I didn't know if I was gonna if this thing could move and I could die. And mm-hmm. um he became my hematologist for about three years. I was on heparin mm-hmm. and Coumadin, or blood thinners mm-hmm. and um he was with me for three years and every step in the way. So mm-hmm. finally I found a doctor that listened, but it took, you know, multiple multiple times yelling out, please help me, something's wrong with me.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
2: at that point I kind of realized I knew my body really well
0: mm-hmm. and
2: that uh, if anything like this happened again, I was just going to have to scream and shout until someone finally listened. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, so, you know, throw a tantrum and make yourself you know everybody stare at you and, and then and then you're you know and, and to get a little bit of attention and and so the, i so so you you became aware that you had at that point that you had to have a voice in your own care and um I imagine that that began to translate into how you saw the medical system and into what it, you know, how you began to view when you would take your children to the doctor or when you went to the doctor. Did it change that or not? Am I, am I off or? Oh, no.
2: It changed everything. And it wasn't just when I was going or my kids, but anyone in my family. I would always mm-hmm. question, question what they were told. And I would always ask them, did you ask these questions? And. If they didn't you know, I would get irritated and say, "Well, you're not being proactive enough, you know, I don't think they're looking enough at what the problem mm-hmm. is yeah mm-hmm. i I was a nervous wreck about it, um mm-hmm. because I knew if you didn't ask the right questions or you didn't ask enough times, you'd just be mm-hmm. ignored mhm,
1: mhm, right, 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 so so you became you you began to become a not an expert in knowing that you had to ask questions
2: yeah absolutely
1: so so that brings us to i mean so so here you are you've had your own experience um it's like acutely in your brain, and then this happens to your grandmother, so it's walk us through what this what happened to your grandmother exactly and, and you know um as I said in the intro, she fell, but why don't you tell us well what well yeah, the story itself?
2: Well, basically, my grandma wasn't like normal 98-year-olds. Um, and I know people are probably thinking, okay, she's 98.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: But at 98 years old, she's still at her own home back in Chicago um, with mm-hmm. no one watching her staying with her. Um, she lived on her own still. She would come mm-hmm. to uh, Phoenix to stay with my mother during the cold winters in Illinois. And mm-hmm. so she was still completely with it, you know, never, it just, very, very different from an average Mm 98-year-old. And um, they were at Albertson's at the grocery store, and she Mm -hmm. said, I have to go use the bathroom. So she went Mm -hmm. in and used the bathroom, and Mm -hmm. she didn't come back out. So after about Mm. five minutes, my mom went in to check on her,
0: and -hmm. she was in
2: the last stall in between the wall and the toilet, and she had fallen. Oh. And, I mean, obviously she just couldn't get out of that place. Uh And so, you know, at that point, my mom called me and said that, they were taking her to the taking her to the hospital to see what if she had broken anything and um by the time I had gotten there they, they had already run the the test and she did break her hip and mm-hmm. was going to need surgery the next day to repair it.
1: So she shattered so, I mean it was completely shattered? It? Yeah. Or yeah, she had well, to what have were they gonna uh, do? Just
2: pin it, put pins in it or what? Do you remember? Um, they put pins in it and then a steel rod. So they ran a steel rod from the knee up to the to the yeah. hip and then pinned it back in. Uh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, so um. So she was in. So okay. So that you're 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 at the hospital. And mm-hmm. they. How did she do after surgery?
2: Surgery was amazing. I mean, again, they were very surprised. No problems. Yeah. Um, she did great. And Uh the thing with my grandma, she didn't want pain meds. She wasn't with a broken hip. You would assume that she would be in pain, and she really wasn't. Uh Um, Unfortunately, they gave her medicine anyway, saying that Uh she was probably out of it still from the surgery. And um, we noticed a change in her immediately, Uh not knowing what happened to her, where she was, what was going on. And Uh um, we told them to stop giving it to her. And they said, you know, no, we're going to continue to give it to her. She needs it. She's in pain. You don't want to do that to her. Mm -hmm. And we said, but Mm -hmm. she's not, so please Mm -hmm. stop. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually left the hospital for a couple hours, came back, and when we came back, my grandma was on the floor in the hospital room. And um, we ran over to her, but we couldn't get her up. And we Mm -hmm. asked her, did you press the button? And she said, I've pressed it three times. So we continued to press it. Um, my mom actually turned on her phone um, clock to see how long it was taking them to get there. Uh-huh. After about seven minutes, uh-huh. and they still didn't come, she pushed it again. Uh-huh. So this time, I went running around the floor trying to find someone to help my grandma's, uh-huh. you know, struggling on the ground. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Finally, uh-huh. Um, after a total of about thirteen minutes plus the seven minutes of um, the original, they finally came in and helped her.
1: So, so that's 13. Wait, that, wait, wait, wait. Wait. 13 plus 7 is 20
2: minutes. minutes. Wow. Wow. They left her there. And um you know, at that point, obviously I already had my concerns about hospitals. Um but this this was one that blew my mind. And I kind of in the back of my mind I kind of thought, okay, they assume she's ninety eight years old. She probably doesn't have much life in her anyway. So we'll just ignore her. We'll mm-hmm. just we'll just ignore her. You know, we mm-hmm. have younger people here that we need to take care of. We'll get to her when we do. And mm-hmm. so that was that was the first mistake um, that they made with her. Mm-hmm. And I started um, telling my mom, you know, because I've known you, Hari. You, you need to call Hari. There's this just is not okay.
0: <laughs> and the second
2: concern was she started developing. Um, half dollar size wounds in the back of her um um ankles because they were bed sores. They didn't put uh-huh. those specialty boots on her and because she was 98 and her skin was thin
0: after right, 24 right, hours, right.
2: 48 hours in the bed, her skin started breaking open. Uh-huh. So, you know, that that got worse and finally my mom just said I'm calling hard. I'm just not getting anywhere. They're not, they just don't care. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we did. We we called you, and what you did for us is took care of things so we could take care of her. We could spend mm-hmm. time with her and, and really, you know, figure out how to help her. And mm-hmm. we went and, you know, looked at different um, rehab facilities because we didn't want to stick her in a nursing home. That was the last thing we would have done so mm-hmm. you gave us a chance to go really look at these places test them out to see if it was mm-hmm. a good place for my grandma mm-hmm. and um so we tried right, and what her all to I did
1: oh. right all I I mean this is what an advocate does is you know now that you've <laughs> you've mentioned it um is we make sure that people do what they're supposed to do that that they you know, they do take care of the person that they can be, like if they say to me, oh, yes, we've been in there, and I call you, and you've been sitting in the room, and they haven't been, well, then, you know, I'm I'm going to let them know, well, hmm, that seems very odd, <laughs> you know, so it does, it it keeps people on their toes just a little bit more. I can't say it's, you know, always dramatic, but... Like you said it does it did give you the opportunity to leave the room, to leave and be able to look at these places right
2: absolutely you were like our big eye in the sky, I mean truly, you really <laughs> were so that we could focus on on what would you know what we would later find out to be the end of her life um and so rehab was was wonderful um she was starting to walk again, she was starting to do really well, and then All of a sudden, out of nowhere, she's getting weird again, um, acting strange, asking again where she was, um, what happened to her. And my mom was there from every morning from 6 o'clock in the morning till my grandma went down for a nap. And then Mm -hmm. my mom was back again after nap time till it was time to put my grandma to bed. So Mm -hmm. there was a very small window that she was not there. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: we started noticing that. And so we asked the nurses, are you giving her pain meds? And they said, mm-hmm. yes. And we said, why? And they mm-hmm. said, well, we ask her, you know, if it hurts, and she tells us yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm.
2: at that point, you know, my grandma will probably tell you anything, so you'll just let her be. Um, mm-hmm. But then we would ask her, does your hip hurt? We would ask her a certain place, does your hip hurt? No.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, then mm-hmm. why right, are you doing right. it?
2: And mm-hmm. so that was a battle all in itself. Um, you know, they try to play the, the same cards as the hospital. Do you want her in pain? Well, absolutely mm-hmm. not, but she is not.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: having to argue with people to stop really giving my grandma medication that she did not need, um, which led us to <coughs> about a month after her being in rehab, again, we've got her walking again, um, using her walker, doing amazing, coming really mm-hmm. far. And we um, we left for the night, and they gave her more medicine at some mm-hmm. point to where she felt like she could walk all by herself. So she put herself I can in fly. a wheelchair.
1: I can fly. I mean, you know, you're giving her payment. That's how she felt. <laughs> exactly.
2: She, uh, she felt fly.
1: nothing. Yeah.
2: And so she somehow <sighs> got herself into her wheelchair, with these moon boots on is what we call them, which we're, were protecting her her giant now open sores that were not healing. So she started pulling herself into the bathroom. We even the nurses to this day do not know how she did it. Got mm-hmm. herself into the bathroom, pulled herself mm-hmm. up, and never and fell on the ground again.
1: Mm-hmm. The so we
2: were called, and mm-hmm. she had to be rushed back to the hospital. Luckily, she didn't break anything. But we couldn't figure out why she did that, and mm-hmm. um, she couldn't remember even doing it. So once again, mm-hmm. we knew she had been given more medicine. Mm-hmm.
0: So
1: and something so, is an interesting uh, – wait, wait, just sorry to interrupt, but there's this – I, I mean, it's um, it's an interesting – it's interesting when they're they're acting – the medical – side is acting like they know what's best, and they're not listening to you, and that must have been, like, incredibly frustrating for you to be, almost to be disempowered in being able to care for your grandmother in the way you know her, and to be, to not be heard, that that must have been incredibly difficult for you.
2: It was extremely difficult, and I remember calling you multiple times, coming unglued because mm-hmm. it continued to happen. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it, it was just, yeah, it I just was. And having finally, I think you called, and my mom was down there at the same time, and we had it written on her medical records, and big, giant magic marker, do not mm-hmm. give her any more of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and that the, the last time that rehab, that we ever saw her walk again, She decided she still was. She was coming off of that medication, but it was the next day, and the one last time she decided to get up to do something and fell again. And at that Mm -hmm. point, she made it very clear: "I'm done. I'm never gonna. I I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not gonna walk anymore."
0: Mm -hmm. And And she gave up.
2: So, so the
1: sequence was that she um, she had that that fall in, in the bathroom. I mean, the sec- in, at, at the rehab where she thought she was flying. <laughs> or, yeah, <you> know. literally. <laughs> and then after that she fell another time, like shortly thereafter.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, within 24 hours she did it again. She was trying to turn off her bedroom lights. Um, the nurse would usually come around to do it. Well, they didn't, so she mm-hmm. got up to do it herself, and she fell again. Mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. that point, you know, we were got that phone call to come back down there, um, there and have to take her again. <laughs> and so instead of them taking her again we stood there we made sure that they brought that the machine to her that they were not moving her anymore
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so um at that point they just told us there's nothing else we can do for her she's not going to try anymore she doesn't want to and um you need to figure out what to do next with her so you know we had talked about her coming back to my mother's mm-hmm. and we finally decided that this wasn't an option anymore. Um, it was too dangerous uh, for my grandma and for my mom. And so we did again. You allowed us that time, that big eye in the sky, to leave her alone for you know a couple days. I mean, obviously coming back and forth, but leaving certain times throughout today to go visit. Um, you know, not they're not so much uh, uh, retirement homes or. Or nursing homes, but it was a, called a group home. So it was a, a big home, big house where mm-hmm. it had like seven or eight bedrooms. Everyone had their own bedroom and bathroom. It was a beautiful place, mm-hmm. and so we took her there, and she loved mm-hmm. it. She was mm-hmm. healthy. She, you know, not walking again, but she was mm-hmm. okay. And um, was it a hospice a home
1: for for hospice home, or was it just a, a place? A group. It home? was just a
2: place at that point, mm-hmm. just the place mm-hmm. at that point. And about a mm-hmm. week before Christmas, again, my mom was always there, but we finally got her to go go away for a little bit to breathe and let mm-hmm. my grandma really get used to this place. Mm-hmm. And, um, unfortunately, the hospice nurse was at this location just, you know, checking on everyone, and right away noticed there was something wrong with my grandma. So she had you already signed
1: her up? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, I think we missed a step here. Did you, had you already okay. signed her up for hospice? Have you already, apply, you know, um, gotten her enroll, enrolled in hospice? Or did the hospice nurse say, I think she should be enrolled in hospice?
2: I think she should be enrolled in, enrolled in hospice. She okay, was so not enrolled.
1: Okay, right, because that's a whole process. And so so what, what, so the hospice nurse was in the neighborhood, so to speak, Visiting other people right. in the house, right? And happened to stop in to say hi to your mother, to your grandmother.
2: Absolutely, she she checked on everyone, and she just happened to go in there and, and say hi to her, and noticed right away what did she notice? Not okay.
1: What did she notice? Um,
2: her coloring, her coloring was different, mm-hmm. and <laughs> her breathing was was very different. Mm-hmm. Um. And, so and she hadn't
1: been seeing her before, or she had been. She'd been visiting other people and stopping in to say hi.
2: She, like had, to, um, she had visited her once before, and that was it. Just
1: right, just to see how she was, just to see who she mm-hmm. was. Not not because yeah. she was a, one of her patients.
2: Exactly. Okay. She was just. Okay. She was a new person that mm-hmm. had just moved in and was just going around and wanted to say hi and meet her. Mm-hmm. And so the second time, she just. I mean, my grandma looked, I guess, her coloring was different in her lips and her fingernails. And um, and they asked mm-hmm. her, they said, Jenny, are, are you okay? And she said, you know, it hurts a little bit to breathe. I'm having a little bit of trouble. Now, mm-hmm. how long was that happening? How long had she been left in her room that mm-hmm. this had been happening? And we don't know. I mean, we'll mm-hmm. we'll never know.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: they immediately, um, now this, this place that my grandma was at, it's uh, it is a place that you you can live your final days at. It's definitely. I mean, that's that's what it's for. It's not a hospice by any means, but this hospice lady um, did not want her there. She wanted her in hospice immediately. Um,
1: mm-hmm. so what does that mean? Trans- her, she, oh, they actually had their own place.
2: Yes, the hospice lady. They actually had their own location. And
1: what yeah. was that? What was it? Was it a, uh, like a nursing home? Was it? What was that like? What was it the
2: hospice location was amazing um it was a very very small it was used to be a home um and it had horses and and chickens and dogs i mean it was it was beautiful and they mm-hmm. had the owner had passed away and donated it to donated his home to hospice and mm-hmm. his livestock so it had been mm-hmm. turned into um an eight bedroom hospice location. Mm-hmm. It so, was it was magical. I will tell you that.
0: Right,
1: and just to let people know, this is in Arizona, in outside Phoenix, right, or in Phoenix? Uh
2: huh. In Gilbert.
1: In Gilbert. So, um, let me back up just a little bit because I think this is a critical piece. Is that what was it like when this woman said, uh, "Your mother, your grandmother needs to be in hospice." I mean, what what, what was it like for you and your mother?
2: Shock. And Absolute shock.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. And how did she no. tell you? What, what did she say? Did she call you up on the phone and say, "Hey, your grandmother needs to go into hospice."
0: I mean, I told being my facetious. mom. I've been facetious, um, but mm-hmm.
2: she told my mom that she needed to to come to the to the home and that she mm-hmm. needed to talk to my mom right away, mm-hmm. and left it at that. And mm-hmm. so my mom called me, and we went over there, mm-hmm. and um, she basically already had oxygen on my grandma and she was showing my grandma her uh, my mother my grandma's lips and her fingers which were getting better but they still they still were were not what they should be and explained Mm -hmm. to my mom that yes she can stay here to receive care but at this point um Mm -hmm. she could tell from my grandma's heartbeat um Mm -hmm. that she sounded um and i can't think of the word um that it was, it sounded like a washing machine,
0: mm-hmm. is how
2: she, okay. she said it, mm-hmm. and said that, yes, she could go here, but at this point, it, it would be best if she was moved to hospice, and so again, we were kind of floored and in shock, and did didn't she really say, know what to say.
1: Did she say why going to hospice would be better?
2: It would be more comfortable for my grandma, um, she would get closer care, that this home was Yes, there was only so many patients, and yes, it was a it was a small house. But the level of, of staff and the level of um their level was just not adequate to take care of my grandma the way she needed to be done taken care of. They just didn't feel like there was enough night staff to be there for um in this situation. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, you're in so sh- in shock because. There was no, there was no telltale signs. I mean, it was just right away. Mm-hmm.
1: So and you so... Like, left her the day you left her the day before that morning, or that morning, or what? It, and the next thing you knew, you're getting a call from the hospice nurse saying it's time, essentially, where, where yeah. we've reached the moment. And how long was that from the time your grandmother decided she had had it? Nine. Days. You know that she was. How many? Nine days. Wow. 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 Okay. Nine days.
2: And the day before, she was fine. She was singing and eating her lunch and normal. I mean, there was Mm -hmm. no signs that from who she was Mm -hmm. 24 hours later that anyone would be calling us, telling us, Mm
0: -hmm. you need
2: to move her. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. And so So that, you know. Yeah. Just an aside. We were questioning it.
2: You know, that, that was another question in her mind.
1: You were questioning whether, it was the, whether you should – well, let me ask you this. Had your grandmother said to you, don't take me back to the hospital or anything like that?
2: No. No, she hadn't. We just kind of at that point made that choice for her. I mean, unless it was life uh-huh. or death. Um, right, right, right. No, we weren't going to do that because she didn't get care there. They just left her alone to die there.
1: Okay. Um uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: So, but it still was a question in the back of, I think the shock kind of took over, but mm-hmm. it was still in the back of my mind, who do I listen to? You know, mm-hmm. if she really seriously need to go to hospice, because in my eyes, you're not coming back from there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, mm-hmm. you know, I questioned it, but at the same time, um, I didn't want to risk her being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I kind of just let go and just let her go there and didn't fight mm-hmm. it, didn't argue, would ask the mm-hmm. questions that I needed to ask once um, she was comfortable. And so we moved her there, and it was exactly one week before Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. you could tell a difference mm-hmm. in her once mm-hmm. she got there. I mean, she even looked different. And okay. her
0: uh-huh. very
2: confused, extremely confused. And so, uh-huh. we didn't know if we could contribute that to the lack of oxygen
0: because uh-huh. we don't know
2: how long she really was without it. Uh-huh. And neither did the hospice. And the hospice just said that her heart sounded awful, and that yeah, it sounded she was, like she
1: was having congestive heart failure.
2: Absolutely, that she was yeah. getting, she was just shutting down. Um, mm-hmm. but we asked many questions. Um, like what? How we are you? Ask? Super comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you going to
2: keep her comfortable um, morphine drops liquid morphine
0: mm-hmm.
2: and oxygen you know they mm-hmm. they don't do IVs there um, mm-hmm. they, they don't do things like that there it's a place where they can keep you comfortable but it's not a hospital where they stick you all over the place
0: mm-hmm.
2: so we asked you know um if they would continue to check on her all the time, if they would bathe her, if they would take care of her wounds on her her um, ankles, because at that point we were told they were never going to heal.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So,
2: and I will say that hurt her more than anything else, or those those mm-hmm. heals.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: so, you know, we asked many different questions on that, and um, they would give us, we would go out, um, you know, in the, where all the nurses were and asked them, how do you think she's doing? You know, how does she sound? And they were mm-hmm. so gentle with us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they would explain to us what her heart rate was, what it should be, how much mm-hmm. it had changed. Um, they had mm-hmm. brought in a second, second oxygen take because mm-hmm. she really needed more than what the first could provide for her. Mm-hmm. And they just said, you know, just love her because we're close.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: then she would fluctuate. One day mm-hmm. she would be – she'd throw the nurses off, and they'd say, we mm-hmm. really – We don't know what she's doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she fought. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the times she didn't know why she was there, and she kept asking us, am I sick? Mm -hmm. Am I sick? Is that why I'm here? Uh, Some Mm -hmm. of the times she thought she was at my house. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: then she started talking about other things. Um, Out of nowhere, it was like a clarity that we we hadn't seen in her since before the fall she we were all sitting around her, and she said, "Um, I broke my hip. She said, I can't believe I broke my hip. I went to go to the bathroom at Albertson's I slipped in water, and I fell and broke my hip
0: mm-hmm. and My
2: mom and I just looked at each other stunned because she never told us that ever mm-hmm. and um it was it was it was hard and but the staff there was um." They're like their own little angels. I mean, they they loved her. They took care of her, and they explained the process to us because,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, my mom lived in a in a a place that she thought my grandma was gonna pull through.
0: She mm-hmm. never gave
2: up, mm-hmm. and the rest of us had kind of really mm-hmm. let go and said, you know, it's gonna happen. And um, my grandma started telling us things, personal things, to each one of us. Um, you know how much she loved us and just just things that were a closure, that she was just saying goodbye.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And finally the hospice um, family came in and sat us down and said, you know, you need to tell her it's okay to go. She's fighting so hard. And mm-hmm. it's she's just, there's nothing to fight for anymore. She just doesn't mm-hmm. have the strength. You need to tell her it's okay. She's fighting for you. Mm-hmm. And so we did. Um, we started telling her it was okay. It was okay. And then on um on Thursday, the day before Christmas Eve, she finally stopped talking, and she just said, "I'm tired," and that was mm-hmm. that was it. And mm-hmm. she didn't talk anymore. And um, unfortunately, we had a nurse that came in that Thursday that we we never worked with before. We had the whole time we were there, we had the same nurse, same mm-hmm. staff, um, but mm-hmm. they had switched over on the Thursday, mm-hmm. and. My grandma started making that gurgling sound, the death rattle, is what they call it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the <laughs> nurse came in and started moving her, and my mm-hmm. grandma was just screaming in pain. Mm-hmm. And um, we went in there and we said, "Don't touch her! Don't mm-hmm. touch her anymore! Please leave mm-hmm. her alone!"
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, we asked for her to give her morphine, and she said, "No." She said, "I'm mm-hmm. not going to give her morphine." And she can't swallow anymore. This is just mm-hmm. how it's gonna have to be. And mm-hmm. um, unfortunately that was that was my turning point and that was where I just couldn't handle it anymore because mm-hmm. it you know, I knew morphine, I knew it could be absorbed, it didn't need to be swallowed, and to know my grandma if this was gonna be her last day, this is how it was gonna be. Suffering. Mm-hmm.
1: So, and what, so what, Yeah. So you did something we
2: Uh huh. We argued argued
1: with her. her. Uh
0: huh. We did.
2: We Uh argued and argued and argued, and she wouldn't budge. And she finally told us, "If you want something different from her, we can call nine one one and have her taken to a hospital."
1: And so that was seriously a shock. That's that's like a really nice hospice moment. Um, But it speaks to that even in hospice. There are there's the good and there's the not so good um, medical staff, um, you know. And uh, <clears throat> you, what she should have told you is let let me call the doctor, or why don't you call the doctor? Because every every hospice is overseen by well in in, in um, Arizona it could be a nurse practitioner or a doctor, uh, but. You know that was not her call to refuse it. So, I, I that that I mean that's so hard to see your loved one who's so near death to be put into you know to have to go through that. So what was Absolutely. the outcome? I mean, what 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 was the outcome? Did did her shift end or something?
2: No, there was too many Italians in one room. We're all Italian, and her whole family was there. So there was about twelve of us, and all of us <laughs> were armed with cell phones. So I had, obviously, one call was to you, another call was to um, another nurse that normally was there, and um, we finally, after playing telephone, we finally got a hold of the doctor that came Mm -hmm. in and would check on the patients every day, and Mm -hmm. we dragged him out of bed, and he gave her the morphine and sent that nurse home and said, this would never, ever happen again, Mm -hmm. Um, because... During that period, we were waiting for the doctor to get there. She kept explaining to us that my grandma was no longer there. She was she was gone, but her body was still here. And went on to open my grandma's eye and put her finger in it and say, it doesn't move, does it? She said, exactly. She, her brain's gone. She, she doesn't feel anything. Um, and, again, it took everything out of us not to come unglued. We finally got her to stay away from my grandma And once the doctor came, we gave her morphine, Uh and the death rattle stopped. It subsided. Um, Uh And she was peaceful. She was very peaceful.
0: Uh And then
2: at 10.05 a.m. on Christmas Eve, she passed away. Oh.
1: And was surrounded by her beloved family.
2: Absolutely. And by staff that just said she was a treasure. I mean, that they Mm -hmm. had normally at that age, or they've gone through all that, they're cranky, irritable, and Mm -hmm. she just wasn't. She just Mm -hmm. wasn't that person. But, Mm -hmm. again, I mean, the thought of having to fight like that Mm
0: -hmm. when
2: all you want to do is just be there for that person because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost over, that Mm -hmm. was tough for us. That was a tough Mm -hmm. experience because during the whole time, that short week, they were amazing. And then there's this one bad seed, bad apple, that just really... You know, you don't know if she didn't care. You don't know if she had a bad day. You don't know why she is where she's at.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one thing is it doesn't sound like she should be working in hospice. Um, because she is not
2: in there anymore. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, because hospice is not just about the patient who's, Leaving their body, it's about the family who's watching the process and the pain and suffering of the family, and and the sensitivity is critical. You know, I think in hospice, that that's why hospice is so remarkable. Generally, it allows not just the focus on the patient. It's like two pronged. It's the only oh, one of the few places in medicine where you actually see. The needs of the family being as important as the needs of the patient, and Absolutely. you know, it, and that's. I mean, it's just such a sensitive time, and to cross that barrier, you know, I mean, it must have just I, your heart must have just been breaking. I mean, and also you're so in that moment, you're so. You're so overwhelmed with what with grief because you know what's going to happen to have to deal with that sort of emotional onslaught, you know, of someone's insensitivity, it's 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 shattering, I would imagine. I mean, your family, you sort of must have all looked at each other and said, are, you know, where are we? You know,
2: We actually contemplated sending her back to the hospital at that point um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. because we didn't know what else to do. I mean, we just, to hear her making those noises and know that, she she definitely was in pain and no one was doing anything about it. It was a thought. You know, should we transfer her? You know, is she is is she even capable of being transferred at this point? And um will it make it worse? So those were a lot of questions that we were we were all going back and forth on because we didn't know what to do. But we knew we did not want this to be it. And so that was that was difficult. But I mean the rest of the staff, whenever we had questions they would be there mm-hmm. um they would answer you know like you said uh, where she was at what they thought how many more days they thought um mm-hmm. what we could do for her to make it better um mm-hmm. easier and so it honestly to be able to be a part of that to see this person you know um it was extremely difficult but at the same time we got to be there without her being poked and and hurt and ignored mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have to fight every five minutes to get a nurse in there to check on her. We mm-hmm. got to be there and know that she was being watched every step mm-hmm. of the way.
1: Mm-hmm. And it isn't, I mean, she was being watched, but you still had to be there. I mean, you know, you, I mean, am I, am I right? There was still that edge that, yes, she was in a very <clears throat> good place, but... It was important that you guys were there to make sure that she was allowed to be comfortable.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we there was one family member, two family members that stayed the night, always. She mm-hmm. was never alone. And mm-hmm. it's it's amazing because even in that last week of death, as she was getting close to that, she mm-hmm. still would tell them, I am not going to the bathroom in my pants. You get me a toilet right now. And she was serious. She did not care. And my aunt would say, Mom, please, you don't need to do this And she uh-huh. said, I I'll just hold it then. That's just how uh-huh. it's gonna be. And so she used one of those movable porta potties until the last day that she, she took her breath. She would not do it. And um you know, a they, woman
1: with dignity, were, a woman with her her life's dignity was not going to go down the drain at her the end of her life. How wonderful is that?
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: And they Bye. were, you know, the hospice was there and said to mm-hmm. my aunt, do not fight her on this. This is mm-hmm. what she wants. And, you know, if it takes mm-hmm. us an hour to get her out of bed, we're going to mm-hmm. do that because
0: mm-hmm. it's
2: what makes her comfortable. And so mm-hmm. that's what they did.
0: Now, mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't try to mm-hmm. argue
2: with her or anything.
0: hmm mm-hmm.
1: Mhm. Wow, I mean that's that in a, I mean in a way you're very lucky that there was a place that she could go. I mean a lot of um cities and towns don't have hospice specific hospice homes or um or you know a lot of people are in the in nursing homes with hospice or in the home with hospice. So this was, this is some, somewhat of a unique, I mean, there are places across the country, but this was a, you know, this was a very, sounds like a very um, gentle and loving and medically, you know, uh, medically, I'm not adequate, but I think that is the word, for her needs, for someone who is dying, so... Um, I mean, it must have taken some of the weight off your shoulders to have her in in the hospice.
2: It did. I mean, it, it was, what helped us is that we didn't have to, you know, tag team each other to go run and find a nurse or doctor to find mm-hmm. out what was going on. I mean, mm-hmm. we literally had to step into the next room and say, you know, something's just not right. And they wouldn't, you know, groan or moan and say, you know, we'll be there in a minute. They followed us and were very attentive, and would explain to us, "Okay, this is what you're hearing. This is what you're seeing. It's mm-hmm. this is stage two or three of where we're going. You know, it's this piece is either going to go away or this is going to continue to get worse. This is this is part of the process." And they would explain it to us. They would break it down so we mm-hmm. knew what was going on now and what was going to come next.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't sound like they had like a standard of care that they stuck to. This was all about your about Jenny. This is about her her journey into her into her dying and her death. It wasn't, you know, okay, so and and that sounds like the nurse who wouldn't give her the medicine was like into the standard of care thinking where okay, we don't do that now. You know, she's so I mean that that that's Sounds very unique to me,
2: I think it was I mean, and i I think what played a part on that is it was so small. There was only eight beds, and these were all single units, so eight rooms and um there was a staff of four nurses, um, two nursing assistants, and a nurse practitioner all mm-hmm. the time, so there was enough staff there to mm-hmm. really be there for each family and each patient mm-hmm. um, according mm-hmm. to their needs. So I think that made a big difference is it wasn't a huge run facility and mm-hmm. it was it was more of a place that was your home away from home. It was,
0: mm-hmm.
2: that, I mean, that's exactly how I saw it. Um, you know, my kids could be there and mm-hmm. they were off playing with the horses and doing their own thing and still be a part of the process with my grandma. And mm-hmm. these nurses and and. Nursing assistants and PAs were were all there, you know, assisting us in any way that they possibly could. Not mm-hmm. just my grandma, but you know, each of us as well, because we were all at different different places with dealing with it. You know, you had my mother who was not coming to terms with this is it. She's not coming home. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you had some people that were just, um, you know, trying to trying to suppress everything and just not showing anything. Mm -hmm. And then you had, you know, the younger part of the family, myself, my sister, and my Mm -hmm. kids that were beside ourselves. Because we knew Mm -hmm. this was the end. Mm -hmm. end. And Mm -hmm. um, we didn't know what to do. You know, we were told, tell her goodbye and do all these things. And and so they helped us come to terms with that and and helped us with that process. Mm Because a lot of us were stuck saying, I don't want to do that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. So they... They were gentle uh, and thoughtful in how they spoke with you and the family?
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And they Mm -hmm. never spoke in front of my grandma. If there were things that were going on or, you know, there were major changes, they never Mm -hmm. spoke in front of her. Even if Mm -hmm. she was in and out of it, Mm -hmm. they never wanted to take the chance of her hearing something like that from them.
0: It was mm-hmm. up
2: to us to tell her that, and so they were—they weren't just thoughtful for us. They—they they really, even though she was at that place, they weren't going to, to do that to her either.
1: Mhm, mhm. Wow, well, this is this is great. So, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about hospice? Because this is something that kind of—I mean—you were in a unique situation, and I think this happens to a lot of people. Someone will say, "Well, what do you think about hospice?" You know, um, and so you, I mean, you sort of walked into this situation. What's your advice to someone who ends up in your situation, whether it's in the hospital or it's, you know, nursing home or the patients at home or your situation? What kind of advice would you give someone?
2: Research. Lots and lots of research. Do your due diligence um, before, if you have time, before before the decision has to be made, to put your family member there. Ask the right mm-hmm. questions. Um, you know, uh, see if you can go there and visit. Don't even tell them that you're coming to visit Just show up
0: so you mm-hmm. can see what's
2: really happening. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that's very important. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't back down. Mm-hmm. Don't, mm-hmm. if you but, don't but agree your with what the doctor's saying, oh. Right,
1: right, right, right. Right, right. Don't. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm right there with you on that one. <laughs> Don't always agree. Um, but in your situation with hospice, I mean, what, what would you tell someone about hospice? Like, not just, you know, picking it, but what would you say? What to look for in a hospice? Like, you know, you're talking. You know, yeah. What, what, what would you say to look for?
2: Size. I think size. Making sure it's not too big. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's just like if it's too big, you're going to be looking at the same situation as most nursing homes and hospitals.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: The staff, how many staff Mm -hmm. numbers are there during Mm -hmm. each shift? You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of them have lower staff rates at nighttime than they do during the day. This Mm -hmm. one didn't. It was the same um, around the clock.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: Find out what their shifts are. Um, When do the Mm -hmm. nurses and everything switch their shifts? So Mm -hmm. you know if you're going to have the same nurse for how long? A week? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be a day? Um, Mm -hmm. How many nurses are going to change over during, you know, a a week's stay? Because, Mm -hmm. honestly, otherwise you're going to be telling the same story all over again, and you could run into what we did where you had the the nurses that were truly there for the hospice reasons, and then you had that one nurse that just wasn't there for the right reason at all.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Just a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah,
2: so mm-hmm. size is a big thing. Staff members um, on all shifts is another mm-hmm. thing. Um, you know, medicine, how do you keep them comfortable? What What do you do mm-hmm. at that point in time to keep them comfortable? Um, mm-hmm. Most of them do not do IVs or shots or anything like that. Some I've, I've heard do, but this one did not. They do mm-hmm. not want to cause any additional pain. So you want to mm-hmm. ask them, um, you know, if they say morphine drops, well, how long do you give that to them? to give that to them to the very end. very important, um, you know, and I guess the more questions that you ask these people, you're going to be able to tell whether they care or not. Is it? Are they going to talk to you, like we've answered these a million times, you're just another person, or are they going to actually care because, yes, they've heard these a million times, but you're a different individual. You're handling things different. So how do they take care of you, not just your family member that's going there, how are they going to be for you? Because
0: mm-hmm.
2: at the end of the day, you're going to need just as much support as your family member that's that's getting ready to pass away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, because once they're gone, you're still left here to deal with it. So how, mm-hmm. do, how are they going to be there?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so we're getting right, Tarzan, This has been a wonderful story. And just, I mean, I can't, it, it, it's it's a it's a story that I think is a lot of people go through, and they don't. It's so traumatic when it's going on. That you, I mean, I'm I'm just grateful you're able to talk about it because a lot of people look at it, and all that you went through with the hospital, and the journey that you know to your grandmother's passing uh, <clears throat> is very hard. So, in I'm going to give you 30 seconds. What's your sage advice what what's the one thing that you want to tell people about this whole journey that you went through what did you what well, what's the one lesson i guess
2: just to be their to to be your vo- to be their voice um at that point when your family member can no longer be their own voice, you have to be their voice. you have mm-hmm. to be the one no matter how hard it is, how tiring it is um you have to be there and you have to never give up asking the right or asking the questions. Mm-hmm. Even if they mm-hmm. keep shutting you down, keep asking the questions because you know your family member. And if you still can't, it's truly time to find someone like Hari because at that point, <laughs> uh-huh. no, I mean, at that point, H- uh, Hari, a Hari person or Hari herself is going to give you that time that you can finally be with that person and say goodbye mm-hmm. so you're not mm-hmm. worrying about all the other things.
0: hmm
1: that's great advice Jen and I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and do and and reliving the story and because the information you've given is so valuable and and heart wrenching too you know I can tell you know you're still it's still raw um, so I appreciate And thank you so much um, for coming on. Um, and I know your mother was supposed to come, but she was sick. So please give me give her my best and hope she gets better soon. And thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Hari. I appreciate okay. it. Telling a story okay. helps my grandma live on.
1: It does. And uh, thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Talk to you later. You. <laughs> Bye. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening. That was an incredible story. I'm, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed and the, the courage it took, so thank you.